Hi guys, welcome. This is a guided breathing session. Relax to the deepest. Lie down, sit down, whatever it takes, relax. Are you ready? Here we go. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. السلام Welcome to the Safina Society podcast. Today we are joined once again by Dr. Shadi, myself, Moeen, Elias, and also known as Alex and Saad. So how's everybody doing today? Alhamdulillah, very good. So the past two months or so, I actually got a personal trainer. Um, uh, so Fahim, uh, he was on a past few episodes. So I, I hired him as my personal trainer. He has a, he has a gym called Focus 180. And in the routines that he's given me, one thing that he got me really into is breathing techniques. And one of the breathing techniques was uh, the Wim Hof breathing method. So I, when I first read it in the, in the sort of guide that he gave me, by the way, I, I highly recommend if anybody would like to sign up to his gym, just a little plug there. It's great. But uh, one of the, the breathing techniques he gave, it's, it's, it's called Wim Hof breathing. So I don't know if you guys have heard, you guys have heard of Wim Hof? No. So they call they they call him the uh, Iceman. So he holds like the world record for, I think, being able to sit in ice for like an hour and a half. He's he's scaled Kilimanjaro in like shorts. He he can run in like the Arctic. And so he credits this a lot to to breathing techniques. And one of the breathing techniques that that uh, after a workout that Fahim has me do is is called the Wim Hof technique. Can you explain it? Because I actually want to try this stuff out. So I'll actually, there, there's like guided uh, tutorials on how to do it. But basically you, you breathe in real deep, like, yeah, like 30 seconds. Um, and I think it's 30 breaths. And then right when you breathe out, you hold your breath for a minute. And then you take one long breath in after the minute. And then you go back to that for, for another uh, uh, 30 30 repetitions and you do three sets of those basically. And as you do them, you know, the, the long, the prolonged breath hold, what it's supposed to do is exhale. It's supposed to remove carbon dioxide from your body. And the science behind it is uh, on top of this. Uh, uh, it, it, it sort of, it helps with the carbon dioxide and removing like toxins from your body. It also removes, well, it helps with your immune system, so to speak. And it helps with muscle recovery. So that's why I do it. Okay. But, but what uh, do you, you need to recover your muscles from from sitting so much. No, no, no. This is after the workouts. So there. I oh, after the workout. After the workouts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no. No. <laughs> no, that's why I, I had to preface with the fact Man. that from all that IT, right? training. <laughs> I had. That's why I'm prefacing with the fact that I've been. The reason why I hired the personal trainer is yeah. because I've been sitting around. <laughs> okay. There you go. Okay, so let me ask a question now. Um, I, I, I'll try all that stuff. I have no problem trying that stuff, but I just want to know how he, he must have, for example, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and tried all these things before the breathing exercises, then after, in order for him to differentiate and say that it was the breathing that helped. It. I, I don't know. I mean, but this is, I didn't go that well, deep into the, the guy. So, so the thing with Hoff is he, Wim Hof doesn't, he didn't just climb Mount Kilimanjaro. He did it in like shorts in a t-shirt. He's and it's really cold. It's really, really cold up there. Most people wear like snow gear. 
he's yeah. also he also he's also has the world record for swimming under ice so you know like when there's the lake is colored in ice drill a hole jump in and swim underneath like that's some meters or something i just thought i could say any name and alex is like yeah, yeah he knows about it he's like, no, so the that, thing about him is uh <laughs> <laughs> no that that's some serious scandinavian genetics then if that if that's the case you think he's i think he's from holland yeah, yeah holland from, because yeah. you know Netherlands. Netherlands is sometimes disputed whether or not they're Scandinavian or mainland. So yeah. it could be the breathing, it could be his ancestry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever it might be. And, and so I started researching a bunch of these these folks, and, and there's actually my, one of my friends is really into to yoga. He's actually a Hindu, so he properly does the yoga and spirituality. And he would always tell me about Swami Vivekananda, Swami Rama. So this guy Swami Rama is a very interesting character. He he has these weird things that he could do. Uh, I'm just going to read off the Wikipedia page. So he, there was a bunch of biofeedback experiments that were done on him in, in 1970 and 71. They observed that Swami Rama, he could produce different brain waves at will. Uh, he could, including theta and delta sleep waves, while remaining aware of his environment. He voluntarily stopped his heart from pumping blood for 17 seconds. And the experiment, and he was also able to control, uh, <laughs> control the temperature on his palm uh, on different sides of one palm by 10 degrees Fahrenheit. So he could have like cold on one side and hot on the other. The reason I bring these people up is to demonstrate that spirituality is a huge growing practice now. Um, go ahead, Alex, before I bring up the next one. Well, so... What I was going to say, I mean, you might get to it, actually. So I'll, I'll just hold up. Uh, what I was going to say is spirituality now is a, is a big sort of practice. If, if you've heard of the horticulture movement, these guys do like, you know, hell, they make their own food. They, they have minimalist lifestyles. They practice yoga and breathing and meditation. It's like the hipster folks that Alex doesn't like. Is that, is that, <laughs> is that, per, per, that perma, like gardening? Permaculture? Permaculture. Permaculture, not horticulture. Yeah, sorry. yeah. yeah. Permaculture. Yeah, because yeah, um, like Saad said, that's just gardening. gardening. <laughs> <laughs> well, it start, it, the, the, the base is like gardening, but it's this yeah. whole lifestyle, right? Once you get yeah. in. Sustainable lifestyle, yeah. Right. Now, those things are actually not, they're, they're not bad. Like if anything, you know, Muslims are, should be about some of these good things. I mean, some of, the, some of them have great benefits to them. Now, the topic that I want to bring up is there is this thing uh, about modern society, which which pushes people so far away from spirituality and from them their inner self and what it means that uh, they they move to these sort of movements. What I find interesting about Muslims in the West, I can't speak for Muslims in the East because I actually think naturally Muslims in the East are very inclined to spiritual things. When it, it comes, to it's it all to, changed, yeah. right? But changed. when it comes to Muslims in the West. We have, we're, because Islam is a very sort of, we're not like, uh, we're very scientific in, in many ways. Right? I mean, not scientific, I should say, like, we have a very empirical uh, sort of understanding of the world, even in our Sharia, right? We, we're very, there, there is a strong foundation of faith, and we, we don't just, uh, even though we, we do believe things can happen out of, based on miracles, we do believe in the, the uh, cause and effect. We do believe not, in cause and effect. We, yeah, we, we, no, I would say, you know, believe in it in terms of when we use science. 
Right, right. That's when we separated from theology. Yeah. Right, right, right. And we also believe that there's an order of things. And because of this, in the Western world, Muslims are, are very sort of um, empirical and very naturalistic almost, right? There, there's this whole naturalism uh, idea that, that, that the world is very empirical. And, and the Muslims don't really have this in the West. And I, and I see this as a growing problem. Uh, Alex, you had your hand raised? Yeah, so this is this is a perfect time to interject what I was going to say earlier, which is when it comes to stuff like Swami Rama, right? And uh, people that that we see from Eastern countries that are able to do these essentially party tricks. Um, and and I, I, I don't say dismissively necessarily, but even when Muslims do this, right? So if you if you hear about a tariqa where the sheikh was able to levitate over over a pond and the fish jumped out and said salam alaikum to him or something. It's a party trick. It doesn't actually yeah. mean anything, right? Because again, if you look at somebody like Swami Rama, Hindus do it too, right? Yeah. In fact, Hindus have all kinds of recorded feats. Some of them, this, was in a, this, this guy was studied in a university, but people who probably are legitimate and trustworthy have testified that they've witnessed all kinds of miraculous things, you know? Yeah. And well, uh, I, just, I say about that stuff, what Shehnoff said once, which is, you know, we have a spiritual side to our, to, to our being. If you're somebody who fasts a lot, and so like Swami Rama sat in a cave for like years, years and years on yeah. end, yeah, and just just meditating and practicing his breathing techniques, and you know, feeling, listening, feeling out his body. If you do that for an extended period of time, you 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 lower, you increase your, uh, your you know, your tune, you're more tuned into your spirituality, and yeah, you could do crazy stuff, and you you can make your body do crazy stuff. I mean, it's sometimes it's just about having that inner focus. So that doesn't prove anything necessarily. Um, and I think that one of the things that we see with the, the way that Muslims are kind of suspicious about quote unquote spirituality is that they think a lot of it is just that. Like I'm going to yeah. do a certain amount of dhikr and I'm going to get like a prize at the end or I'm yeah. going to be able to like read someone's mind or, you know, be in a too low, bilocate and stuff like that. And that's really not what it's about at all. And yeah, fact, I'll, just, exactly. I'll just finish with this. One of my favorite things ever is that Sheikh Nohos once said that he went to visit his brother, who's a shipbuilder. So like, you know, uh, like a manly man, right? And his brother was like, well, what is it that you're doing out there in, in, in Jordan? What, what exactly do you do? What's your job? And he said, I, I teach people how to better manage their time. That's, that's what the Sheikh of a Tariqa does. That's, yeah, that's true. Uh, how to control yourself and monitor your time. And uh, one of the things that we hold is that this stuff can all be learned and it's no different than, um, you know, a coach getting a coach to jog and to run and to lift and you'll look different and you'll be able to do different things. So we believe that the spirit is a subtle material matter, like that this spirituality is like a subtle uh, material matter that can have an impact on the world. So like you can impact your, like you said, his breathing, his, his temperature, blah, blah, blah. And what actual real spirituality, the Prophet ﷺ defines it, and it wasn't even used the word spirituality. That word was not even used by the Prophet. Uh, what we would call uh is not as a word that came way later in Islamic uh, literature. But the Prophet, peace be upon him, said that if you are truly in tune, it's not sufficient to be in tune with your spirit. It's you being in tune with Allah, and Allah Ta'ala responding to you with gifts of light. And the Sahaba said, what, are the what is the sign that we've been given this gift of light? And in many different uh, hadiths and also ayats of Quran, the Prophet really summarizes it in three matters. The first matter is that you, be you find sweetness in practicing the sacred law. Like you love the sharia, you love the sunnah. You find it like a comfort, a source of comfort. 
Secondly, the matters of the dunya, the playthings of the entertainment and the pastimes of this world slowly become boring to you. They become less interesting to you, less exciting to you. And then the third thing is that the matters of the afterlife become like right in front of your eyes. In other words, they are your highest priority and you begin to prepare for after your death. Now, a person could have all this stuff and he's really not in tune with his being able to, you know, uh, do any of these tricks, right? He might not have any of that, but he has all these, right? So we can have that concept. And in the, uh, like uh, you all just said, like the Hindus can do this. Likewise, there was a Christian man in Egypt at one point. And this man would be reading people's thoughts all the time. And he was like a Christian priest or something. And he, every time someone would come in, he would read their thoughts right away. Okay. Um, or read what's in their heart right away. And so a sheikh came and he said, uh, all right, you know, uh, we know what you're doing. Uh, tell me what the trick is. Right. So he said, every single time that I want my nefs want something, I contradict it. And by persistent, persisting in contradicting my nefs for year after year after year in everything. If it wants a date, I don't let it have it. Right. If it wants to sleep, I don't let it sleep. If it wants to wake up, I don't let it. I, every, at every turn, I contradict my nefs to the point that I've reached the ability to have these types of powers, you could say. Right. Powers. Uh, that I can do this, right? So the sheikh said, okay. So he went and he told the people, the Muslims, and they stopped being impressed because they knew it's a trick, right? Not a trick like a magic trick. They knew that there's a cause and effect. Right. And we say, uh, which means if the cause is known, the amazement is gone. They're not amazing anymore, right? And so uh, it's very important for Muslims to realize that uh, nearness to Allah is not by uh, and I'm going to tick off a list of things that are not necessarily bad. I'm just saying it's not nearness to Allah. It, eating a super perfect organic. Okay, it's nice, right? But I said Muhammad Ali would make, he dropped like a, two Cokes a day, right? Nearness <laughs> 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 to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not necessarily any of those things. Nearness of Allah is that you find a great affinity and a comfort in the sacred law. You're lost very much appetite for entertainment and you constantly think about your status of the afterlife and you prepare for death that's what the sign of nearness is and not any of these new age just like wokeism is a new age fundamentalist religion right it's a new age religion of a fundamentalist strand likewise what is it called um i guess just new age spirituality what do they call it um I guess it's, it's New Age spirituality, but it's something else. Mindfulness. 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 All that Hindu mumbo-jumbo. And I'll tell you, you know, what they end up figuring out. That the only real value of it is to get money and girls because they have a Netflix documentary about one of these dudes. Yeah. He invented hot <laughs> yoga, which is stretched, like Charles Barkley put it, stretching in a hot room, right? <laughs> I bet you were going to mention that cult out in um, Seattle. Yeah, so... Cult? I forgot the name of Alex. In Oregon, knows. yeah. Yeah, in Oregon. Yeah. It was like so, it was like one of these gurus and they had this whole following and it was just What was this <laughs> called? This guy's called Bindi Yoga or something like that. Uh um, oh, you talking about the hot yoga? Yeah, what is this called? He's called Bindi Yoga or something like that. No, that's uh, <laughs> oh, I can't I remember. Don't know. Yeah. yeah I just remember the guy that used to come in Rolls Royce. 
Yeah. That's him. That's him. That's with the, the tights, guy. right? With the tight, with the with the swimmy tights or whatever. And this guy, all he wanted at the end of the day was to use his tricks to get money and girls. Yeah. Right. So, in the end of the day, how's he different from any old, you know, you know, any old person, any other person doing the same thing, but not with these difficult tricks? Right. To to me, what stands out is that it it <laughs> seems like it's all uh, ritual and no meaning, right? So it's all you know, the practice of like, Hey, you know, sit down in some place and like clear your mind, do all this stuff. But there's devoid of any purpose, larger purpose or meaning. It's just going through the motions of those things. And so it's like a hollow spirituality in a sense. Well, it doesn't change. Yeah. It doesn't give you a purpose. And and in fact, when you think about it, the origin of all spirituality is your thoughts, right? And when your thoughts get directed in a certain direction, it undermines your temptations. So your temptations slowly get bleeded out. And uh, there is a passage where Sayyidina Isa ibn Maryam, he says that the beginning of all matters is what you think about. And that Iblis, he does not come to a person uh, with wine. He doesn't come to a person with a prostitute. He doesn't come to you with murder of your rival. He comes to you with a very deep thought in your mind that would make you desirous of this world. And from that tree will grow all the sins that you could do, right? So all he has to do is grow in your heart. And, and many pious Muslims may not be aware that in my heart is growing a desire to be accepted by so-and-so. My desire to have a home as big as such and such, to have a family as big as such and such. Uh, so that thought seems, it's not one of like the deadly sins, right? But this shay- shaitan, puts that little thought of desire of this world and then we forget about akhirah he also said one of his great wisdoms is that in the same just as you can't have water and fire in the same heart you cannot have thinking about this world and the next world at the same time so for every moment that you are desiring this world you lose a desire of the next world and so until it outweighs and you fully are desirous of the of this world now all the sins can will you'll do them by yourself. Shaitan doesn't have to tell you, because your desire will push you forward. Wait. Well, so, a counterpoint to this that that I'd like to say. So, so you mentioned um, uh, Muhammad Ali al Maliki. He he would you know down two cokes a day. The the counterpoint to this uh, I, I would have to say is when you when it comes to living in the Western world in America. We live in a world surrounded by, you know, digital devices, all of this stuff. Uh, the, if you have like a standard nine to five job, you're, you're, you're very, you know, sort of engaged in, in these sort of online things all the time. One thing that I've always found interesting in, 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 in Islam, we, we believe that even the, the rocks and the trees, they perform dhikr, right? So when you, when you go outside into nature, the one thing that, we're supposed to understand is even when you hear crickets at night, when you hear all these things, this is all the performance of, of dhikr by, by these creation. Now, what ends up happening for the, the, the Muslim in the West is because we don't consciously think about these things. And like I was saying earlier, when it comes to the Eastern world, naturally, so many of these things happen. They spend so much time outside. They spend so much time in solitude. Uh, like, like Alex mentioned, you know, the, this Swami guy, he spent like, you know, just 30 years in, in a cave. We can't even spend 30 minutes in a room. You can't even spend 30 minutes, you know, doing anything. So 
is it necessary for us to 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 work a little bit harder on this sort of spiritual side with whether you know whatever techniques it might be just a question i'm not i'm not sure of the answer well uh, i think that it's very important to uh, just to think about memory space like in your computer if you got tons of you know games and movies on your computer you're not going to be able to put a lot of anything else so your mind is very much similar to that if mm-hmm. you're if you're so busy with everything there's literally just no time to think about akhirah and if you want to summarize Islamic spiritual, you know, I don't even know if that's the right word. Spiritual is not even the right word. It's nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be by thinking about the akhirah. So to the degree that we're calculating, and in that, the, the, there is a type of khalwa inside of jalwa, which is I'm actually with Allah, but I'm with everyone else. And that is that at every moment you try to think, well, how does, what would Allah as uh, judgment be on this action that I'm doing with so-and-so. So even though physically you're in the world doing whatever mundane thing, but meant your, your heart is connected back to Allah. Like what would Allah's judgment on this matter be? So in that respect, that's actually a lot more empowering in a sense than saying, Oh, you need to be in the forest for, for 20 minutes a day or 50 minutes a day. But that's not even practical, right? Of course. But yeah, this idea not. of what you're doing it for, what's the purpose is far more, everyone can do that, right? Everyone could do that and it has a real result. If you're lusting after a woman, going into the woods is not going to change that, right? Okay. It's it's what your motive is. It's what your thought are. Are you thinking about, it's what image you're able to conjure up in your head. So we have to conjure up images of standing before Allah. Actually, you know, in that example, sorry, Alex, go ahead. No, no, please. In that example that that Doc mentioned, going out into the woods in that situation may actually be worse for you because now you're alone with those thoughts, as opposed yeah. to being around people and Thank now you're you're in control, like you're in control of yourself. Yeah. So what I was going to say is this is a this is a, a great example um, because that idea of you're lusting after a woman and your solution is not going to be something like going out into the woods, but it is going to be something like fasting which we know from the sunnah. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is why, uh, again, Muslims should not be disconnected from the ulama of this science of spirituality because the ulama, A, they know the sunnah of the cures of these diseases. They know the diseases and they recognize them and they can teach them to you. And then they know the cures to them. And the cures are often found in the Quran and sunnah and also through, uh, you know, uh, ishtihad, of the of the ulama of the tariq, right? So yep. they have worked on these problems for centuries in a in a, in a in an unbroken chain of sheikhs, and they've seen the results and they know what works and what doesn't. So um, yeah. this is this is this because we can't figure it out by ourselves sometimes. And uh, no, it's like any other disease. You go to the doctor and a doctor that knows what they're doing. Although everything that you guys said, I agree with, and it's and and and, and it's true. Isn't it also the case that a certain things naturally do impact how you feel and, and how you connect with with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? It's for example, it's it is in for example, eating halal food, right? Eating uh eating halal food, earning a halal risk, right? Uh um not uh not doing evil deeds, right? Uh, not sinning. 
these do impact your your spiritual state and your and the state of your heart right 100%. so so things like even connecting with nature you know even let, let's say what we were talking about earlier breathing do these things not have some impact i mean they must have some impact well, right so so uh before dr shaggy gives you the correct uh answer from somebody that knows just off off the top of my head you know those two are th- those, i think those two things are very disconnected and different um, the first thing, the first category that you mentioned are things that are um, uh, proscribed in the sacred law. So you're, you're, you're disobeying Allah when you don't eat halal food, when you don't earn a halal income, when you don't uh, pray or fast or do any of your obligations, or you do something that's prohibited. That's in the sacred law. This is just plain, like they, like that's at the basic level of just be a Muslim, right? That practices um, things like breathing techniques or communing with nature or uh, petting a, 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 a fluffy a rabbit. Like, yeah. no, like that's, that's a, that's like a therapy thing that they do for old people. Right. They bring like, <laughs> like fuzzy dogs and cats and so that the old pets, people can right. pet them and it makes them feel better. These things might have some, uh, some effect or another, but they, they're nowhere near the, the level of avoiding the haram and of doing the halal. They might know. have an effect on your psychology, right? Like mm-hmm. your actual mood, you know, you, the state of being like, you know, enjoy it or not. But I think what Alex is saying is that that might be distinct from your spiritual state, right? Like you could be happy and you could be a very spiritually devoid person still and vice versa. That's, that's very true. Yeah. yeah there's I a lot think, of kafirs that go out in the forest and right. hit the bunnies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's something else too. I think that they're always looking at causes and effects. Whereas our spirituality with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a personal relationship. It's very different. Right. If you notice through the modern spirituality, who who's on the other end? It's still just you and you and you and you. Right. It's almost like a very. It's still to me. It's like it draws a person into himself. Like what? How am I breathing? Or how am I touched? Uh, you know, in the woods. It's all about you. Right. Whereas it's there's nothing that you're devoting to someone else besides you. Where our spirituality is is about thinking of somebody else and that. Other is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So there's a big difference in those two. It actually, that disconnects you from yourself. Whereas everything that I hear about this, uh, about modern spirituality, these are nice little things, right? Uh, these are nice things. Breathing, to be in the woods, to, to be in these beautiful environments, right? These are nice things, but it's all about me. All that stuff is about you. You just, fo- your focus is on your own self. I think it might make things worse. You become like someone who, oh, I can't eat that. Right, and you offending everybody else. All you think of is yourself. You're selfish. Yeah, it it and uh, just one sentence. It's going. It, it leads to a type of solipsism, where what solipsism? Yeah, you know, this this idea that you're the only, your reality is the only reality. Yeah, and everybody else is not really here. Like it's total self centeredness, where you 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 know the only experience of reality that you have is your own, and so you discount yeah. everybody else's. It's almost like a simulation theory, except you're the programmer. Yeah, yeah. And, and also the stuff that you mentioned is very nice. It's good, but it's just like what Sad said. Just because something makes you feel good at this moment, it's, it would really just be in the category of feeling good at this moment. For example, uh, if you're sitting making dhikr, okay, and then in a, in a regular you know, cold room, sitting on a, a hard surface, and then your wife says, hey, come on, I have, a, I have a, a nice comfortable rug here. She puts a nice rug. 
she puts a blanket on top of uh, uh, on your lap now. She puts a nice bukhur and she begins massaging your back. Aren't you going to feel your dhikr is so much nicer, right, and better now? <laughs> so are we going to now say that getting a wife massage is spirituality? No, it's feeling good, right? Mm-hmm. We all love to feel good, but that, that's not to be confused with spirituality. Spirituality, right? That's a perfect point, Sheikh. Even, yeah. even having, like, the heat on in the winter. Yeah. It's more comfortable than doing the ground in the, in the ice. Yeah. <laughs> that's not spirituality. Put it in the category of feel good. And don't confuse feel good with spirituality. Sorry, Maureen, you've been trying to go right. for a while. Uh, yeah. I think we touched on something that has never occurred to me. That actually in the deen, the word spirituality, like Dr. Shetty tried to do, we don't, we don't have this concept. Yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, for us, there, within spirituality, there, there's – so the, when, I, when I think of these sort of techniques like breathing, being outside, the cold showers, even working out, right, exercise, this is a part of you know, something that's good to do. So, for example, um, you have uh, – it's perfectly possible to be a good Muslim, be spiritually very in tune with Allah and his messenger, but you know, you don't work out. You're just a weakling, you know, uh, or, or, you know, you, 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 you know, you're not a weakling, but maybe you, maybe you can't run a mile. You can't run two miles. It's just, it's just not something you do. And that's perfectly all right. But we, the Dean would also say that there is benefit in being a strong believer versus a weak believer. Right. So yeah. there, there is benefit in this as well. Right. That that doesn't mean that just because you have attained some some strength, you're, you're able to control the temperature in your body with breathing, yeah. that, that you become some some spiritual person. As a matter of fact, those don't go hand in hand at all. As well, those yeah. are, so I think the word spirituality is actually you know, flawed I, in our understanding. I, not only is it flawed, it creates a framework that is purely about the person's self, right? So that's what they like, believe that, that, right? The divine self, that's what it's all about. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it, it remakes about self. Whereas if you look at the definition of t- the, the, the purpose of Tasawwuf, in every Islamic science, they always give you, you know, uh, you know, what is the origin, what is the source, and then what is the purpose, right? The purpose of it is تحقيق لله, to make a reality your excellent servitude to Allah to make that a reality. So just in the definition of the purpose of it, it's separate. It's, it separates you from yourself. It makes this about somebody else. This is not about you. This is not about your intellectualism or your physical strength or your spirituality. This is about you being a good servant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we have to return to that and make sure that whenever we think about the self uh, improving spirituality that we don't lose track that all, that's really really good just good for yourself you've benefited yourself you've just um, and your attention is now directed to yourself which is I think a derailing of the point Alex I think that's a great point and yeah. uh, you know you see this in one of the distinctions between Muslims um, Muslim uh, awliya and spiritual people of other, or these type of people in other religions, whether they're yeah. gurus or monks, is that they, they for, by and large practice a type of monasticism, mm-hmm. right? Where they just separate themselves from the world. They don't have families, or if they have families, they're not actually taking care of them. They're not providing for them. They're not supporting them. Yeah. It's just dudes doing their own thing, right? 
um, they're basically living like that Unabomber life. Yeah. And uh, Islam does not have monasticism. We just doesn't do accept that. it. It, yeah. it, do, it doesn't accept it. And, and I guarantee you, if you're in any Muslim community, you cannot do this stuff. You have, a fam- you have big families and you have communities. You have to go to weddings. You got to go to uh, invitations. You got to go to... It's not practical to do this stuff. Even basic dietary stuff is very difficult. You're going to have to offend somebody, right? And we're not allowed to do that. So This is good for old age. It's great for old age when you're sort of, the community has let you out to pasture, right? (laughs) Do what you want. And I'm not uh, just being negative on all the health stuff, but at at what cost? Not at the cost of many, many things. Not at the cost of offending the community or the Muslims. Not at the cost of becoming so self-centered that when you get invited somewhere, you send them not one dietary thing. I'm allergic to fish. No books right lists I've seen, and I've, lists. Seen, I've seen people invited to someone's home ask to see the packaging so it's unbelievable the ingredients it's unbelievable like, now don't eat them. just leave if, yeah don't accept the invitation so you don't even have the son of accepting the invitation so it's one thing that a person wants to do that stuff for himself okay you're weird you're one of us but you're weird but if he now packages it as this is spirituality this is the soul this is now we have a problem because you totally missed the point, right? Go ahead, Mike. I will say though that being healthy and then eating well isn't yeah. a bad thing. You know, I don't think anybody. No, no nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying. Um, yeah. I don't think the the takeaway is that um, you know don't take care of your 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 health, don't take care of your body. But I think if we're we're looking at in terms of like you know, ranking of benefit to you, it would be more beneficial for somebody who like performs dhikr every day, prays, all this stuff. It'd be more beneficial for them if they did that and didn't work out that as opposed to just worked out, you know? Well, that, and yeah, so, so, so that's, that's really the hierarchy of it is that those things are good, but they're not going to ever take the place of actual practice. Yeah, and, and um, the main, I think the main point that we've been talking so far is the takhliya element of things, which is uh, prob- what is the problem you know, of certain n- new notions of spirituality? And the, I think the summary that we're all saying is that it's, it's purely self-centered, right? It's purely about yourself and trying to hack the system or something like that and not have to, it's almost naturalistic. You don't want to rely upon a living God who either accepts you or rejects you, right? Right. Yeah. And you know, one one of the one of the most spiritually accomplished people that you know, in my estimation, that I've ever known, um, somebody that eats super healthy, mm-hmm. is very conscious about his diet, is very conscious about exercising, is very conscious about um, taking the proper vitamins and supplements. Like this, and this is a person who whose life is dedicated to Allah alone, right? And yet, also has all these things that we're talking about, but they're not the core of. Uh, of course, yeah. In terms yeah, of yeah. It's this stuff is really good to have, but it's not it's something good, that's yeah. going to be. It's not even going to be on the list of what. Uh, oh wait, to self is. Yeah, his his point is, it's good to have a healthy body because you can do more ibadah. Yeah, there you go. That's the point. Now we should we should shift to what the focus actually is. Right. So that this is where I want to get to is you talked about this idea of the divine self, 
um, where people, it, it, all these things just become, a, become about the self. And so uh, something that I've found interesting, and, and I know this sounds like a radical shift in thought, but we're going to come back. There has been a huge spike in, in suicide rates, actually, in, in, within the middle schooler and high schooler uh, age range. And I remember when I was in high school myself that when somebody, for example, came out of the closet, right? They were, they were straight and then they turned gay and there would be this huge applause, right? Even at, when I went to high school, I mean, it, it wasn't as applauded, but I know now it's, it's become a thing, you know, you're, you're, you're applauded, whether you, you know, come out of the closet or whether you, uh, you know, tr people have this thing with transition parties, right? It's like they transition from, from male to female or female to male, whatever it might be. There is this huge sort of validation that comes in where, you know, I was sad and depressed. And now that I've, I've, I've changed, I've, I'm, I've, what, what do they call it? I, I've been, I, I'm very courageous and I've, I've been validated. And so this validation, they find, they found that once they do transition or once they do become, you know, they come out of the closet, a lot of the times that goes away, right? As For soon sure. as they change, they don't continue to have this constant stream of validation. And that's when they start hitting the depression and the sadness. And I have a, I have an acquaintance from high school. He actually committed suicide because of this similar phenomenon. And it doesn't just happen with, you know, uh, people transitioning or, or, LG, or the LGBT community. It actually hap it happens to every type of individual now, right? They, they seek this validation that they're not getting from whether it's at home or their religion or the deen or the masjid, and they seek it out in forms such as social media. They move to things such as yoga or meditation and these types of things. And the problem is, all of these things are still just centered on the self, right? It's whereas the Dean is very much so about this external validation that you're getting from Allah and his messenger. Also, right. And, and so I'd like to bring that up and, and get your guys thoughts on it. Well, Ibn Atta has a beautiful hikmah on this. And he says that a person goes uh, seeking satisfaction from the creation is very much like the mule they put in front of it. You know, they, they put the, a, you know, wooden beams along its side and they hang a oat bag in front of him. So he thinks that he's constantly going to get the oat bag, but in reality, they just want him to turn the mill to walk in a circle, right? And he's thinking that he's about to get the oat bag, right? That's what he thinks. But in reality, it's a trick to get him to keep going around the, mu uh, the mill to turn the mill, right? And so uh, Ibn Al-Thaq says that human beings are also like this, that they go from one created being to another created thing, thinking they're going to get satisfaction. And they realize that that didn't give me satisfaction. Let me wait until what's the next thing. And then what's the next thing. And he realizes that at the end of the day, he's piled up a, a dozen achievements. He's got them all, but they still empty on the satisfaction side. And that's why uh, it's who are you directing your attention to is the ultimate question. Right. right. So it's a very simple mental question. What are you, who, to whom are you directing yourself to? Uh, is it the creation? Right. Are you expecting satisfaction from the creation or are you expecting it from Allah? Alex, you're going to say something. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I was going to say, um, and I, and I think for when it comes to va seeking validation from other people, it ends up being a, a sort of double edged sword, right? Because if you, 
if you seek nothing but validation, right, what's going to end up happening is that all your behavior is going to be influenced by these external forces, other people that, you know, they don't know what's best for you. And in the opposite scenario, if you if you're completely uh, detached from what everybody else thinks, then it becomes what Alex has mentioned earlier, like a solipsism, where it's just, I'm the king of my own world. Nobody, nothing that anybody else says matters and I can just do whatever I want. So it's like you, you lean uh, too much in either direction and it, it'll cause you a problem. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, this is from Imam Ahmed has an amazing book called Kitab al-Zuhd in which he had traced out some of the acceptable sayings of say that are transmitted from the Christians about Sayyidina Isa in the books and their books, right? And based on the Prophet's permission that you, we can transmit these stories about the previous prophets from the Bani Israel. They're, they're the, they were the keepers of these stories. Some of them were tampered with and some not. But by putting them through this sieve of the Quran and Hadith and Sunnah and, and Sharia, we can know what was true and what was not, basically, right? So here's one of my favorite ones, and this is, this is the core of our spirituality. And you don't, you, in terms of getting sukun in your heart, you don't need anything else. If you have this, you don't need all the trappings of plants and organic and lotions, <laughs> all these things. All that stuff is nice. If you have it, good for you. If, you're, if you don't have it, okay, no problem. He says, God revealed to Jesus, make me your sole concern. Make me the treasure of your afterlife. Trust in me and I will suffice you. Do not take anyone else to be your Lord and I shall never abandon you. Right? So it's this laser focus upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I guarantee you, if a person does this, all those nice trappings, they seem to come by themselves as a gift from Allah. Right, all these nice things, as long as the focus is on the right direction, right source. He says, Here, leave people alone. Right, in other words, don't worry about people, don't worry about what anyone says, don't even chase their flaws. Be at ease with people, but ill at ease with yourself. In other words, a whole be very forgiving and know that Allah is very forgiving of people. You ever see people that always think Allah is forgiving for Himself, but for others, He wants to see blood. Right, so he says, Be the opposite. Imagine that Allah is very forgiving with everyone else, but don't hold yourself to that lenient standard. Hold yourself to a more stringent standard. He said, do not seek to earn their praises, but don't go so far as to merit their rebuke. All right? So I don't care about people, but at the same time, you should not care about their praises, but you should care about upkeeping some norms. Right? So don't become shed or odd because you don't care about people. Right? You ever see these types of people too that I only care about the truth. Yeah, but you're also odd. Right, so we don't want you around, not because of the truth. We don't want you around because you're odd. You ever see? There's some people like this that they want to yeah. command the right and forbid the wrong so much they don't care about anyone. All right, but you also have trampled upon our norms of what makes us comfortable, which is, had nothing to do with truth and falsehood. Okay, so he says here, but don't earn the rebuke either. Perform what you have been commanded to do. Just do your job. Right. Uh, these types of uh, you know, thoughts in your head. The reason we read these things is to get certain thoughts in our heads that constantly gears us in the right direction, right? And that's what the real deal is all about. I had a point, and now, now I'm 
mm-hmm. blanking on what it was. Well, I think, before, I, go ahead. Yeah, what I was going to say is, I, you know, just in terms of, of these of these people that are seeking external validation, I mean, I think it's we can very simply say, I mean, this is simple. It's the although it's not simplistic at all, which is that people need religion. Yeah. Um, and that includes Muslims. Muslims need religion. They need to turn first to their religion when they have issues, when you're yeah. depressed, when you're when you have anxiety, when you have marital problems, work problems, money problems, health problems. Turn first to your religion. It's the only solution that there, that actually will exist. And again, I'm not being simplistic here. Like, oh, make dua and don't go to the doctor. Don't go to the doctor, right? Well, also turn to, also make this part of your religious uh, experience. Yeah. You're sick. Thank Allah. Praise Him for your state, no matter what it is. Ask Him for ease and go see your doctor. Yeah. But don't just go see your doctor, because you're putting you're putting the wrong thing first. Yeah. Make make dhikr on the way to the doctor's office, right? Make dua when you wake up feeling terrible. More dua than you would have made if you were healthy. So it's remembering who's in charge. Yeah, because without without religion, listen, we're religious people. Yeah, human beings are religious. We're religious type beings. This is part of who we are. Even even like Kafir atheist evolutionary psychologists will will accept have generally accepted that there is this component to the human psyche, and there's no getting around it. Yeah. Um, and when we don't actually focus on religion for real, what we end up doing is becoming we'll fall for nonsense. Right. And then we start looking for fake replacements for religion. Right. And we end up with this off brand, uh, off brand spiritual practices that often just cause more harm than good. Or we adopt like a completely secular religion, like, uh, you know, I'm part of the Libertarian Party or I'm a Republican or I'm a socialist or I'm a feminist or I'm, you know, these things are people take them religiously. You know, that video I sent you guys yesterday about that woman yelling screaming like somebody was murdering her children because, madness because the women the other family at the lake was a little closer than six feet and she brought her she he had a tape measure <laughs> she brought a tape measure to the beach to make sure that people were exactly six, six feet, feet away because it is like five feet is going to kill you yeah and she, this is a person who's adopted whatever the whatever is being told to her on tv by yeah. the media or by the government as like this is like revelation from allah yeah. and People who are violating this, it's the end of the world, right? Sorry. And she has scrupulosity, right? Yeah. Th- that means if that same type of person were to enter Islam, they might be making wudu five times a day because they think that they broke <laughs> they wudu. they were as passionate. Right? This is a yeah. disease called scrupulosity, actually. Yeah. Right? It's OCD. Yeah, basically. Was-was. Was-was, yeah. right. Yeah. Was-was. Yeah. Uh, so... I think Muslims themselves also fall into this validation trap, and 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 this is this is one of the the trappings of shaitan, right? They, they fall into this sort of dunyawi gain of the deen itself, right? So, for yeah. example, um, I, I remember people were really, you know, I have a bunch of, I knew a bunch of folks, you know, they're very into qiraat right so uh they knew every reciter they you know were big on 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 you know perfecting their qiraat not not for like the their own you know uh i i you know i pray their intentions are valid but there were there were instances where you know it's it's clearly to achieve some fame or or this type of thing or people do it out of they might do it with good intentions for example they want to People have awrad. Okay, I want to get to the next awrad. I want to get to the next awrad. I want to reach this level, 
right? Uh, so for example, let's say you have, you know, you're, for the first time you're going to do so your sheikh gives you like a thousand. It's like, okay, I want to get to the next one. I want to get to the next one. Once I get to here, I'm going to have a dream about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's hilarious, but at the same time, it is a sort of validation that you're still seeking from this, uh, ex, from this uh, yeah. it's, it's sort of a dunyawi validation. Like you said, it's a, to see a dream of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I mean, it would be amazing, right? But that's not the goal in and of itself. Yeah. Right. Uh, it, by the way, if anything would be a goal in Tasawwuf, it would be to see the Prophet just the Prophet, right? Yeah. Because that in itself is special. But everything else, like uh, ahwal, states, yeah. spiritual states, can someone can become a servant to that as opposed to a servant of Allah. And uh, likewise, asanid, the chains of transmission, for example, mm. it's very well known. Many people, it's a wonderful thing to have chains of transmission, but it's not the uh, end result it's just a, uh, and there was a time when uh, Sayyidina Isa was sitting with uh, his companions and then a man came who was uh, a, a pagan uncircumcised man and he said and they used to call the, the non-believers they used to term them as the uncircumcised right so he said a dog is better than him they said oh uh, you know prophet of God this is a very difficult words that you're saying right how could you say that the dog is better he said tell me uh, when the dog, uh, have you ever seen a dog not obey its master? Right? A, a dog obeys his master. Okay? And have you ever seen a dog uh, be unsatisfied with whatever its master throws at it? Have you ever seen a dog allow his master to be eaten while it sits idly? So likewise, the rights of Allah are abused, and this man sits idly. Uh, the commandments of Allah are given, and this man ignores them. And the, uh, Allah has given him many things. He's unsatisfied with it. He wants more. In other words, he's greedy, he's disobedient, and, uh, and he, ha he has no care for God. So he kept, went on describing the dog so much so that the disciples said, we, 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 we can't find any of us to be better than this dog, right? Because of the loyalty uh, of dogs, they're completely satisfied with whatever their master throws them at the end of the day, and their sole concern is the safety of their master, right? And shepherd dogs, their sole concern is the safety of the sheep. Like, what is the relation between a dog and a sheep? He's not getting anything from the sheep, but yet a dog will fight, a German sh a shepherd dog will fight to the death if it's trained to, 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 to protect sheep. He'll die by wolves, be killed by wolves to protect sheep. So likewise, uh, you know, for us as humans, the goal here is that the dog is never thinking of itself. It's always thinking beyond itself. That's the idea here. Alex, you had something? Yeah, I was going to say that keeping with that example of the, of the dogs, dogs are an excellent um, example in this case because a, a, the dog, there are believers who are less uh, honorable even than, People who you would look at and you go, that's what well, that person is righteous, right? He's always making du'a. When Allah gives him good things, he's thankful. Even if he doesn't have, he still comes around the masjid seeking. But that's dogs do that too. True. It's just that's just, your your behavior is as good as that of a dog. Yeah. Like anything less than that, and it's you're worse than the dogs. Mm -hmm. So the the aim of spirituality is to be even better than that with Allah, right? Wow. Not just coming to seek out a, a morsel of reward. I love the wisdom of Ibn Atta. He says that 
if a bad thing happens and you're crushed, right? And you turn back from the worship of Allah. And then when a good thing happens, you're so happy and now you have good things to say about Allah. He said, this has done nothing but humiliate the uh, infantile nature of your soul and the lack of sincerity to Allah Ta'ala and your weakness in worship. So that's a sign right there that when bad things happen and when good things happen, for a mu'min, yeah, you're going to have a little bit of upsetness and a little bit of happiness. That's natural. But it's not going to swing from one extreme to another. It's just going to be almost like swinging very within the same set of gratitude to Allah for that. Yeah. Well, this is why I was saying when, when, when some harsh, hardship befalls you, the first thing you do before you even seek out the practical solution is you thank Allah yeah. for the hardship. Like, and, and not in a fake way, like, all right, so, you know, something bad happened, now I have to be thankful. Really yeah. be thankful to Allah because Allah gave you this. You could be just, could have just wiped out your life. Could have just wiped out your children. He has, like, uh, and, subhanAllah. And even if, even if he wiped out your children and your wife and your, and your whole family, you should still be thankful. Allah, it's his right to do whatever. You should just say, be thankful that Allah is even uh, thinking of you. So, Ibn Atta has a, an amazing thing where he says that Allah Ta'ala, he, he makes easy the hardship for you in one of two ways. One, by making you remember that he is the author of this hardship. In that case, you know that everything is going to be good, even though it's painful. And the second way is that he'll show you the wisdom of the hardship. Right? So in either way, a mu'min is going to, there's lutf, there's gentleness when he receives the hardship. Moin? Uh So I, I just want to go back to something I said uh, earlier. Um, as I... So, Rather to take back what I said, you know, I, I mentioned the seeing the dream of the Prophet. So what, what I should have rather said is people who become obsessed with these states, for example, I want to see I want to see a miracle, walk on water, uh, you know, walk through a wall. I mean, these yeah. sound crazy, but I mean, it, these states or levels that people want to reach, like you mentioned, you know, seeing the Prophet is, it should, is, is a great goal to aspire to. I, I should correct that. Yeah, and when uh, when people did go to some extreme to the point that they completely lost sight of everything except this reward, then Habib Omar had a statement where he said Abu Jahl saw the Prophet peace be upon him in the wakeful state, right? So you have to be just to put things in perspective. He saw him in the wakeful state, right? And so um, yeah, I do understand that there could be there is an extreme there, right? And another one, I mean, certain thing people worship because tahajjud puts beauty in a person's face it puts light in a person's face right and in the spiritual circles they notice this this is it's recognizable amongst people right but habib omar said likewise i could also put cream on my face to make myself look <laughs> <laughs> uh sheikh Noah, he said that uh, uh if there's a uh, people are, are very happy that their people are really astounded because a certain claim sufi claimant uh to, to spirituality is flying in the air he said, well, the kuffar can take 300 people and fly in the air, right? <laughs> <laughs> They've made planes, right? Haven't they made planes and fill it with 300 people and fly across the Atlantic Ocean, right? So uh, they, they downgrade those things only when they see that a person has lost their, uh, they've completely lost their perspective. But the opposite, if the person is in another state where they completely don't care about anything, then they utilize these things. So there's a story of, uh, a Yemeni uh, sheikh who wanted to, you know, do dawah and bring guidance to the people of uh, uh, Indonesia. And this is one of the sort of 
folk tales of Indonesia. So he came, and he's a Sufi sheikh, and he came upon Indonesia. He spent some days in Indonesia, and believe it or not, he found nobody to be more competent and more um, capable of carrying the banner of Islam than a man who was a thief. He was a thief, right? And he was a gang leader, basically. But he found he's witty, he's smart, he's physically strong, people will obey him, but he's a thief. So he said that he's going to basically convert him. So he comes and he, as the thief is walking by, he throws some dirt up and the tree starts to drop when the dirt fell as gold coins. The thief ran and collected the gold coins. Then the man again, he took it. Okay, he uttered the name of Allah on it. He threw it in the air. It went into the tree and again came down as gold coins. So this is use of a karama to guide somebody, right? So he said to him, and of course, this is a folktale, right? I don't know, there's no senate for this. He said to him, what do I do? How do I do what you did? He said, if you wait here, I'll be right back. And he was at the port, right? He was at a port, uh, uh, an ocean port. So he said, wait right here. If you have the patience to wait for me without getting up from this spot, I'll show you how to do it. So he left. He didn't come back for 10 years. In, the, in, those, <laughs> in those 10 years, just by interacting with all the people in the port and having the discipline of waiting day in and day out, night in and night out, okay, and interacting with people and seeing the people at the port, he, he, he developed wisdom. The man developed wisdom. And the man came back. Finally, the man came back. And he said, uh, you're back. And he said, yes. He said, well, what happened to you? He said, well, to be honest, I've changed so much that I just enjoy the peaceful life of sitting here as a homeless man in front of this port, right? And I meet so many people. I've learned so much wisdom, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I actually totally forgot about you, right? And he said, do you want to learn how to turn this uh, uh, dirt into gold? And he said, yes. And he said, now... Uh, I'll teach you La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah and he taught him the deen and he taught him and very quickly the man advanced spiritually because just sitting at the port purified out all of his bad characteristics and the patience developed in him all the good characteristics so he himself became uh, a Sufi sheikh himself and then he went around giving dawah to people he said now go turn dirty souls into bright souls forget dirt and gold transform the dirty souls into golden souls. So he went on and then he eventually did so much dawah, had such a big following that the king wanted to marry him to his daughter. He ends up marrying the king's daughter and he ends up making the kingdom a kingdom, you know, uh, where, you know, ruled by Muslims, in other words, and Islam spread, et cetera, et cetera. So this is an old folktale. It's probably 10 different versions of it. Uh, but that's the idea. Uh, so that's a case, a situation where karamats were used only to lure people in, right? Just like you lure candy, you want, you, know, you see this ice cream? Okay, now finish your vegetables and then we can eat this ice cream afterwards. And so using karamats is something for the beginning only. Toward eventually, as somebody matures, they care for the giver of the karamats and not the karamat itself. There's no actual value in the karamat itself. Yeah. Like for the most part, none of these things mean anything. When you're yeah. flying through the air, you come out and you know, your cat looks at you and says, Salam alaikum, ya sheikh. 
Like, this doesn't mean anything. Does yeah. that happen? No. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, but if it did, you know, I'll t- I, I like the story that Sheikh Noor related to about one of the ulama that he said that it was Abdul Qadir Jalani that if you come out into your garden and there's a, a, a tree with with a hundred branches and on each branch there's a hundred birds and all of them say Assalamu alaikum ya wali Allah. If you don't think it's from Iblis, one hundred percent it is. Subhanallah, Subhanallah. And there's that great story of Hassan al-Basri and Rabi al-Adawiyah that uh, Rabi al-Adawiyah was sitting and uh, a deer came, sat next to her. And another deer, and a whole family of deer, they came, sat next to her. And Hassan al-Basri came and all the deer ran away, right? So Hassan al-Basri said, why do you have this karama? And why do they run away from me? She said, what did you eat this morning? He said, I ate an onion that was cooked in, you know, some of the fat of a, of, of a deer. She said, well, what do you expect? That? <laughs> <laughs> so she never turned it into, well, if you do 35, subhanAllah. And, and then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if you look at people, people have totally uh, misconstrued wilaya. Wilaya is sincere turning your heart to Allah. That's it. Right? And it can, comes into the life of a taxi driver, into a school teacher, into a school uh, administrators. I mean, into, you know, IT people. It's sincerely turning your heart to Allah and nobody else. That's all it is. Yeah. Wait. So the next part of this episode that I'd like to talk about is yeah. following up to that. I'd, I'd like to, uh, the one thing that I, I listened to last week, which was a very good episode. If you guys want to listen to it, it was on the Ottoman history podcast. It was, uh, they talked about the the, the qasidas in the Ottoman Empire and and just qasidas in general. It was a good episode. It was it's a bit academic in terms of like how how qasidas exist and whatnot, but it was good. So what, when it comes to dhikr, uh, I, I was looking into the the how qasidas work and 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 how when it come, we we talked earlier about spirituality and and one of these things that that the New Age movement is 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 very much so about is these melodies and tones and soft music and uh, getting in, to- in tune with that rhythm. When it comes to uh, the Islamic tradition, we have this enormous tradition tradition of qasidas, right? And and you know at MBIC we have a dhikr night and we, and we sing a lot of qasidas and 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 Dr. Shady, you sing a lot of qasidas were there. I, I want to ask about this: is how 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 we understand qasidas in light of of, of dhikr and and just talk about this a little bit. Uh, Qasida is one of the, uh, first of all, uh, um, Sheikh Abdul Rahman al-Shaghuri has a saying that it's half of, I think, what do you say, a quarter or half of a murshid, right? Oh. Because in do, uh, the, the murshid, uh, sorry, uh, his quarter, the murshid is a quarter, I think he said, or half of a murabbi, right? In the sense that the murshid, when the way he moves his voice, and the way he sings the songs, he has the ability by doing so, by the permission of Allah, to bring a meaning into the heart of a person. Whereas, you know, that a lecture wouldn't have done it or reading it wouldn't have done it, but singing it brings it into his heart in such a way that it touches his heart forever. And so uh, that's the value of it. The value of it is that, the second value of it is that the gatherings themselves are filled with malaika. Right. So, for example, I've sat in Connecticut. I went to in Vernon, Connecticut, to 
a gathering. It was all in Urdu. So I sat with, with the intention that, as the Prophet ﷺ said, that these gatherings bring that down the mala'ika. So I'm here for the mala'ika, right? I'm here for those, uh, that sakina that will come down. And I did leave feeling clean, right? And feeling sukun, serenity inside of my heart. Uh, because of that, so we can just we cannot discount the tr- the existence of angels in these gatherings, even if we don't understand. But the greatest value is that these uh, qasidas they are textbooks, really. If you look at the qasaid of Muhammad, Sid Muhammad ibn Habib, who passed away in Meknes of 1971, it's a textbook, right? He's mm-hmm. educating you, but it's done in such a way that you don't even realize it. Right. Okay. And you love it. You want to hear, sing it over and over. And so that meaning comes into your heart. Uh, there's a third facet. Somebody said, uh, what is the value of reciting a wird from a sheikh if it's from the sunnah? Let's say Imam al-Haddad, the ratib, he compiled 17 or so adhkar from the sunnah. Some of them are dua from himself as well that he added in there. Well, why can't I go and get 17 adhkar from the Prophet Wasallam? Well, someone answered him and said, it's, you're, you're, you continue to try to remove the person out of it and the personal relationship out of it. Allah has bestowed his love and qabul, acceptance upon Imam al-Haddad and his wird. So by reciting it, you are connecting yourself to somebody whom Allah loves, right? Whereas by doing it yourself, you're putting your own self in the picture, right? And who knows if Allah loves you or not? So that's unknown. So it's all these three things combined that the majlis, the, the, the gathering in which qasaid are sung, they have a great value, right? They have a great value. You can get a person to sit for a qasida for an hour. You couldn't sit, get him to sit down for a lecture, right? That's so true. if the qasida contains some educational in it, he benefits. The light and the angels come down and he does the dhikr and recites the chorus. Like, why do you think the chorus? This is not a chorus. A chorus is like words. But if you look at the qasidas, it's la ilaha illallah. That's right. the chorus, right? The la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Like 99% of all the choruses are the same thing, right? Yeah. So it's because we, if, how many la ilaha illallahs and dhikrs will a person do in a regular dhikr night? Maybe three, four hundred? Yeah. You wouldn't do three, four hundred by yourself, right? So it's a way to get people to do dhikr as well. So that's the idea behind these, these mm, dhikr. That's, a, that's an interesting point you make about the lazima because one of the things that we should probably do, most people are probably familiar, but some people may not be, what a qasida actually is in reality, which is yeah. just a poem, mm-hmm. right? They usually don't have uh, a, a chorus, a lazima, there because it's just poems from the ulama, mm-hmm. poems expressing um, you know, either something about their religious experience often, their own personal uh, religious experiences or something that they've understood about the sunnah or just praises of Allah and praises of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And yeah. so, yeah, whenever it, whenever it gets turned into something that's sung in a group, you throw in a lazima to break up the, the stanzas of the poem. And mm-hmm. it's usually the lazima is la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Exactly. And that's the way to get people into to doing dhikr that they haven't done all week. Right. That's the idea. Right. And, and that's why I wanted to bring it up because even... There, people have said this many times. I forget. You know, there was, there, there's a song about it, you know, that that music and and melody gives you a spiritual experience. And I think the, uh, Alex mentioned it on on one one episode in the past that the 
the I think you mentioned the the difference between you know Western music and and, and Eastern music, even in terms of uh, the the I think melodies. Or you mentioned something. I just don't remember yeah, what it was. Yeah, the tonalities. The yeah. tonalities. That's what it is. And so I I always found that interesting, especially when when you look at the the Muslim tradition. Even in the past, the people that were sort of musicians were still singing about Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? Yeah. Uh, they, they, they were considered fasik, so they couldn't lead Salah, but they were still going around singing about Allah and His Messenger, right? Now, you know, the, the, this tradition that, that's co- sort of cropped up, it, it's, it's meant to give you this spiritual experience, but it's completely devoid of spirituality, right? Um, this new age sort of uh, stuff. Well, Beats, by the way, uh, I don't know much about this, but I do trust the sources who tell us about this, that Beats can be, there are Beats that the Shayateen al-Jinn, they love. I'm sure. And there are Beats and there are melodies that the Malaika love. And I think that we do, we sort of know it, right? I mean, we have a history of Muslims singing Qasidas, so those melodies are the melodies that are acceptable, right? They tend to be soft. They tend to not have a gyrating approach to them, right? And they tend to, you know, be calming in their nature. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if anybody has any doubts that music has an effect on your soul, um, just consider that there is an entire category at the Academy Awards and there's tremendous amount of money spent on the production. When you're producing a movie, tremendous amount of the budget is spent on the score. Of course, and the score is the music that's in the background that you often don't even realize is playing. Yep. And the entire purpose of the score is to emotionally attune you to what's happening on the screen. Yeah. Right. And you would almost think that people walk around and there's music playing all the time. Right? Yep. Because yeah. in, in a movie, there's no such thing as a scoreless movie. I mean, yeah. there are some, I'm sure, art house experimental movies that are done that way. But for the most part, they're totally unrealistic. Because there's a there's a there's an orchestral it's, score. It's jarring, actually. What's that? It's jarring when you see one that doesn't have a score. Yeah, you're like, why is it quiet in there? <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's music. That's a science of guiding your emotions, mm-hmm. playing certain notes, playing certain melodies, yep. uh, playing playing certain instruments, cause crescendos, and yep. you know, it, it's all it's all designed to to alter your emotional state. So how can you not believe that it has an emotional effect? That of course it does. Yeah. So if yeah. it's, uh, uh, would you believe that it has an emotional effect only in the negative then? I mean, why wouldn't it have it in positive, right? No, so, of course it has in the positive. Yeah, so that's why it's so important to, you know, recognize that uh, what is the evil sound versus, so it's not all neutral. That's the point. Yeah. It's not just yeah. the words. Many people think it's just the words. It's no. not just the words. It's not just, just the like words. Like what Alex was saying, if, if something is sensual, they're gonna, there's going to be a certain melody that they know as a formula will heighten up that scene, right? right. Likewise, if something is dark and dangerous, there's a formula to this, right? I mean, the Quran itself, right? It's an oral, it's an oral, it's an orally read, uh, heard tradition, right? Yeah. It, when we hear the Quran and we, when we hear a, a certain reciters of the Quran, you know, it's it's wrong to to say in any form that the, that that it has a, as a music to it, but it, it has a, it has a, it has a melody to it. In in ter- yeah. maybe it's not the right term in terms of adab, but mm-hmm. th- there is a a, a a feeling that the Quran gives you, um, yeah. similar to how you know uh, there is this evil feeling that certain uh, 
songs or, or, or melodies will give you, right? The, the, the Quran has this nature in, in and of itself. And, and the same applies with Qasidas, right? When you hear the Burda, for example, it, it, it gives you this, this, this feeling of peace um, and, and, the, and, and, and this good feeling. Uh, I don't know what, else, what other way to put it. Well, there's also, uh, that's exactly what it is. And it's, it's all about feelings. And Qasaid are meant to bring out certain feelings. For example, there's a saying that the Prophet ﷺ said to the man who said, I want people to love me, I want Allah to love me. And what he directed to him is not afkar, not doctrines. He directed him to feelings. He said, hate this world and Allah will love you. Right? Have no desire for it. That's a feeling. So the, the qasaid are supposed to create feelings around these individuals, the examples of these individuals, of the awliya, and the, the concept of zuhud and the con- these concepts is supposed to create that uh, and make you love it through the melody because otherwise it's very difficult, right? And there's also another tremendous benefit, which is which comes not from listening to YouTube videos of Qasai necessarily, but from yeah. having from joining others and singing them together. There's a communal bonding that happens. Um, when you're singing, even if you're just singing the chorus together and, you know, you don't know yeah. all of the words to all of the, all of the lines of the poem, but even just singing the choruses together, um, it creates a sort of a communal bonding. And if you're doing this on a regular basis, like every week, every other week, the same people get together and the same people praise Allah and they praise the Prophet yeah. and they recite these poems with these deep spiritual meanings. This creates a type of uh, bonding with the community, a spiritual bonding. It absolutely does. Sitting in a room meditating, even if the if you get the heat turned all the way up. I mean, even 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 people who are secular believe in that. I mean, that's why they have like (laughs) Burning Man and Coachella Mm -hmm. and all these all these festivals because they get together and they bond over this stuff. So even even they they believe in the power of that. It's like that Coke commercial from the from the seventies, late sixties. Yeah, where you have just a bunch of people singing together. And it was like revolutionary. It was the most, it was one of the greatest ads ever wow. because they just had a bunch of people singing a song together with a I positive mean, message. Yeah. In the South, uh, what keeps the Baptists keep going back and they're, you know, extremely attached to their religion. It's the yeah. singing part of it. Right. Yeah. So it's, in a, if I think it, anything that you do together with people is going to bind you together. But when that thing is the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala that binds yourselves and your souls together. It's, it's, it's like that saying that, that, that people have where you're preaching to the choir. Yeah. It's assumed that the choir is already convinced. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. the, when your whole jama'ah is the choir, then alhamdulillah, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and, and that phrase always uh, bugs me because you don't think people are affected week to week and this, we all need to be tied back. We yeah, all need course. to retie our knot every week. And that's why those, uh, and by the way, the way we do it is basically like uh, just dipping your foot in the water. Hassan al-Banna, who is the founder of the Muslim Brotherhood, who many people say is like, you know, this bad person. If you actually read his biography, he was part of a shaduliya. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, the, of the, they would have hadra twice a day. Twice well, they a have, day. They have a word. Yeah. It's called the, the, the Maturat or something Maturat, like that. Maturat, yeah. 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 They, they get and together the, and recite a weird. But exactly. that's like at the higher levels of the... Uh, yeah. You got to be like a 30-second degree. <laughs> uh, 
Muscle brother Mason. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What I was going to say is in other countries, the idea of Qasidas is kind of ongoing all the time. I mean, I'm from like a village in India and and even there, it's, you know, there's Qasidas that everybody knows. And it's kind of just, if you go to the masjid, if you go something, go, go somewhere, you know, every other day, or, you know, many times, even just in the evenings in the masjid, you can walk in and somebody's reciting some, some Qasida and you sit down and join, right? Yeah. This is a phenomenon that doesn't exist at all in, in the Western world. And, and, and I think these Qasidas, because they're recited so often, it, it becomes this form of dhikr that's just on, on people's mind all the time. And, and along with the, the communal bonds, I want to link it back to what we said earlier is, you know, it, 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 it tr- sort of emotionally uh, wraps you towards this external source, which is, uh, which is Allah and his messenger sells on, right? Because I don't want to ignore certain benefits like we talked about of, of these like breathing techniques and yoga and these types of things, because there is this physical body that, you know, is, is required to be in tune with, with your, your, uh, your soul. Right. And I think the Qasidas that, 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 that it accomplished that it accomplishes that a little bit. Right. And, um, and I think that's why people have this sort of emotional bond. Like you mentioned the Baptists in the South, right. There yeah. becomes this emotional bond, which is like physical and spiritual at the same time. If you look at uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, Westerners' attachment to Morocco was insane. They love Morocco so much. And one of the things is that, first of all, the Moroccans, they have a very, they're very in tune to colorful buildings and arts. That's the first thing. So they actually, their buildings are just amazing. Their clothes is amazing. Their food is colorful. Their fruits that you never knew belonged in savory dishes that are there, like prunes cats right yeah Yeah. so you have uh, a very colorful people you have a beautiful climate too you have atlantic oceans right there but most of all is that they have recitation nonstop. they're reciting either they have after fajr and maghrib every single mosque as a matter of law it's like it's like uh endowed there there are people who have endowments to ensure that someone's paid to establish these right uh, a stipend. They have one juz of Quran after, uh, sorry, one hizb, which is half a juz of Quran after Maghrib and after Aisha, uh, uh, after Fajr, in a melodious way that's unique to Morocco. Mm-hmm. Then you have constant recitation of qasidas in certain villages, you know, certain qasidas that become popular. Whether you're, and this is in the past, at a tea house, at a coffee shop, that they would just break out in the qasida, right? Uh, I remember a man from Seuss. This man was, this family was like, you would not even imagine they're a religious family. But when we ended up talking and he said that as, as a simple matter of habit, we would never get up from a gathering without collectively everyone reciting Yasin. It's like the Mashaikh sort of wow. taught it to us, right? And there was no such thing to get up. He said, even we were just guys who just pray five times a day. We didn't even pray sunnahs, right? Like, you know, those types of regular Muslim guy. He'll pray five times a day. He, does, he doesn't pray sunnahs. He doesn't do anything like that. Uh, we drink tea and coffee. We don't leave without reciting Yasin, right? Uh, he said Buddha was something that, you know, you're, it's in the air how much it's sung. So Quran and Qasida, were, uh, which is Dhikrullah, it was 
constant in the air in these places. I've never been to Sus, but he told me. That's what he said. I've been to Fez when, and I heard the Quran constantly. It's literally, you cannot spend time in Fez without hearing a ton of Quran. Right? Oh. So all that, we, don't, we also don't, we have something different is that the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala is a sub, produces a substance as well that affects your body in a very uh, a strong way, very profound way because Allah says, I seek refuge in the words of Allah. And Bismillah, and Bismillah, in the name of Allah, with whose name there is no harm. So when you have a society that's adopted a constant, non-stop remembrance of Allah and His Prophet, Quran, Burda, Dalai al-Khairat is, is recited constantly like air, right? It's going to have an impact on people. And that's why the hippies, you know, they loved Morocco for that reason. They also loved it because they had hash, but uh, eventually, <laughs> right? The, the, so they may have gone there for drugs, to be honest. That's true, right? They went there for drugs, but they also came upon this other thing, which they found more fruitful than drugs, right? Sheikh, yeah. last, a couple of weeks ago, did I see you driving with your Dalal al-Khairat open reading while you were driving? <laughs> I read when I'm driving. And that's, why this is that's, that's real to walk with. Yeah, exactly. This, this lockdown has decreased my dhikr, to be honest with you. Because I never drive without having a word, some Quran, some... Yeah. You know, like, now you're not driving as much. Now I'm not driving as much. It actually dropped off a little bit. So I have to make up for it some other Do way. you not have a... I'm pretty sure at one time I wanted to dive in the car. One... Just sitting in Dr. Shelley's car is tawakkul in itself. But that's another matter. <laughs> I'm not that bad. <laughs> so, okay, I, I, let me ask you this question. Do you have an Allah-like sign in front of your speedometer? I have it, and it's in front of the speedometer because there's no other place to put it. Yeah. So you can't see the speedometer in your car. Oh, that's not. You should know how fast <laughs> you're driving. Yeah. That, you should be able to just feel whether you're going too fast or not. But I remember yeah. one time I was just there. I was like, you can't even see the speedometer <laughs> Doc, because I, I support that, Doctor Shad. Don't, Doc, don't listen should, to these um, guys. You should start uh, driving Uber to get your thicker in. Bro, oh, <laughs> that's a great idea. And I, I I'm going to be the first person to buy the self-driving car. I don't want to waste time, right? I don't want to waste time. Well, uh, Wahalalim is so true. Yeah. One of my favorite times in life, one of, my, one of the greatest periods I've ever had in my life was I used, to, I used to have a bus that was really close to my house. Yeah. It was an hour, four, 55 minutes an hour uh-huh. to get to, to where I was working. Yeah. And then it, it dropped me off right in front of my, my building where I worked. And then the same thing to go home. Those two hours a day were so precious to me. Oh, they were And precious. this is pre-smartphone. There's mm-hmm. nothing to do. I would just have books and yep. books and they could, and, and man. Same with London. London, uh, oh. every single day without fail, you take the four, five, six p.m., whatever bus you're t- uh, time you're taking, you take that bus back, you recite basically probably 50% of the way, you doze off 50% of the way, right? You come out, you arrive home, you're refreshed, you're ready to go, you're ready to like cook or yeah. clean or go out or whatever. You're so fresh. Now, you drive home, you need to decompress from the drive. Yeah, the drive right. is stressful. Yeah. As opposed to, by the way, the amount of books I read during, the, during that wow. like three-year period. Yeah. 
I loved, I loved the underground. I loved the bus. I didn't like the underground as much because it was the air wasn't as clean. And it's crowded. I, it's different. Yeah. Yeah, it's crowded. I love to go onto the bus, and I like to go onto the top level of the bus because the British bus has two levels. Yeah, two levels. Yeah, and you go to the top level, put the window a little bit, right, and do your athkar. All right. Yeah. Uh, you have a little pouch, little one of those juz imus huffs with five juz or six juz. Do that. Do the wirid of the hour. Dalal khairat some nasbaha, you fall asleep, right? And that sleep is special too. The sleep after dhikr, try doing la ilaha illallah for about 10, 20, 30 minutes until you fall asleep. Oh, right? Do that at night. It's the yeah, best do that way at night in the bed. It's the best way to fall asleep. Yeah, even if someone's talking to you, like your wife is talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> right? uh, it's extremely relaxing. I never fall, go to sleep now no matter what it is, even if people have like in late in the evening and they got something going on the TV and the tea is out and the sweets are out. My misbah is out, right? Allah, Allah, la ilaha illallah, salam, the prophet, whatever it is. And then upstairs at night, in the bed, same thing. You fall asleep like a baby. You just collapse and you don't even know what happens. You don't even remember when you fell asleep. Yeah, you don't know anything. Yeah, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah. So I think uh, that pretty much wraps it up. Do you have any final... I actually did want to ask you, Dr. Shali, you said you had compiled some, some sayings from uh, Isa, alayhi salam. Could you share some? Yeah. Uh, well, we can pick them up next episode. Okay. Uh, and yeah. I'll just leave you uh, with one more. Uh, um, uh, Jesus met a man and he asked him, this is also from uh, Qutayba, Al-Ghazali quotes it. Of course, everyone's going to attack Ghazali's quotations for that. Ibn Asakir, though, is a historian who quotes it too. Uh, Ibn Abd Rabbi also quotes it. So many scholars quotes it, quote it. He said, Jesus met a man and asked him, what are you doing? He says, I'm devoting myself to God. The man replied, Jesus asked, and who cares for you? Like who's working for you? He said, my brother. And Jesus said, your brother is more devoted to God than you. It goes to show you even that uh, what we were talking about, which is spirituality while in the world. That's mm-hmm. the only thing that's going to benefit us. Not the spirituality that is so demanding and unpractical, impractical, right? So even Prophet Isa here is pointing to this practical devotion to Allah. SubhanAllah. So I think uh, we can wrap it up with that, inshallah. JazakAllah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa